Strava Craft Coffee. You know what it is. But you need a reminder to head over to StravaCraftCoffee.com and use the code DNVR20 to order your CBD-infused coffee. Some have called it game-changing coffee. Uh, whatever you do, though, check it out. Use that code DNVR20. You can get it ground. You can get it whole bean. You can get it in K-cups. Whatever way you take in your coffee, espresso, whatever it is, they have an option for you. So check out StravaCraft Coffee. They'll send it straight to your door for 20% off when you use the code DNVR20. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high. The best part of the weekend, hugging a perfect stranger as they become a friend, having a good time when the orange and blue WIN. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. The website is msudenver.edu slash online. You can check out all they have to offer, including over 750 classes, rigorous and affordable online programs, great professors who bring the real world into the classroom, really get your uh, education, whether it's your first journey through higher education or you're going back to finish off your degree Make sure you check out msudenver.edu slash online today. My boy. <laughs> Good morning to you, RK. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. And, uh, uh, well, I have a couple things here. Uh, I just wanted to start with a question for you because I've, I've had a, re- a revelation recently, Mason. Ooh. Are you, wow, I like this. Are you a creamy peanut butter guy or a crunchy peanut butter guy? Team creamy all the way, 100%. Okay, so – you know, I'm 28 years old. I've been on this world a long time. And uh, for 28 consecutive years, I have been Team Creamy. Uh, and recently, I accidentally bought crunchy peanut butter from the store. And okay. man, what a disappointment it was when I got home and, and looked at the thing and realized <laughs> I bought crunchy. And then I had it. And I was like, hold on. This is amazing still like why was i you know sometimes you develop these um biases when you're a little kid and you know you you don't understand the finer things in life and i'm not going to go as far as to say that crunchy peanut butter is better than creamy peanut butter but i have found myself to be a full-scale equal opportunity peanut butter eater wow okay you know it's not that i'm going to turn down crunchy peanut butter if it's what i have and I've made that mistake too, that I've gotten home from the grocery store, looked in my bag and said, oh crap, I, brought, I bought crunchy. My wife has done it as well. And I've said, you know what, I'll eat it. So I'm, I'm not fundamentally opposed to its existence, but given the option, I'm still going creamy all the way. Yeah, because you know- I, give, I don't like the little bits of peanut that are stuck, that get stuck between my teeth. You know, that's actually the, the thing. My, my mental expectation of peanut butter is that it is smooth. Right. There's a couple things here. Um, one, I haven't yet had it on a PB&J, which is, of course, the best way to eat peanut butter. Um, so mm-hmm. I can't speak to it on that because I've been on keto. Uh, but, but that was one uh, part of this that kind of added to it. Because I'm on keto, 
sometimes when I'm, you know, hungry, I'll just go have a spoonful of peanut butter. And yeah. with the crunchiness in there, it feels like I'm getting a little bit more uh, sustenance in my <laughs> spoonful of peanut butter. I, I get to bite something, uh, which adds to it. So anyways, I, I just felt like I owed an apology to crunchy peanut butter on the whole. It's not the terrible uh, iteration of peanut butter that I thought it was when I first had it at like five years old. Yeah, it's it's not the worst thing in the world if it's and, and it still has the taste. I mean, that's the thing is the taste is basically the same. It's a texture thing. So now that being said, my daughter, who is incredibly finicky on food, if she gets peanut butter that is crunchy by accident, because sometimes on the kids menu at a lot of restaurants, there'll be PB and J. And she'll get it. And if it's crunchy, oh. Ooh, problems. So, yes. So help us God. Mm. That, fortunately, she'll take it out. She'll well, not really take it out on us. She'll, she'll notify me and notify my wife because we don't want her to make the server's life a veritable hell because this seven, now eight-year-old is complaining about peanut butter that, that it's crunchy rather than the smooth that she expected. But that's pretty rare. Most restaurants do default to the creamy on their kids' menu. So my parents actually always made me speak directly to uh, the server. Okay. Uh, which I actually, I think later in life came to appreciate because, you know, you always, mom, I dropped my fork. She's like, well, tell the server. Um, I think we're probably reaching the point now as she gets into second grade here, where we're probably going to do that more often. Yeah. And you say, okay, hey, if, if something like that happens, hey, you know what? You take care of it. I mean, yeah. by this point, she's seen us interact with enough waiters and, and waitresses to where, or, or servers, if we're going for the gender neutral term, that she should know what to do. Right. Uh, so anyways, my lesson of the day is <laughs> try things that you didn't like when you're a kid, because you might <laughs> like them now. I mean, heck, I could have gone through my whole life thinking I hated onions, and then all of my cooking would have been boring forever. But I realize now I love onions. And so what was your, so what was your epiphany on onions then? I'm curious about this. I think I just... I think what happened was I just started realizing every good recipe involves onions. And I was like, I, I need, you know, especially when I'm cooking for two and I'm cooking for me and Allie, like I can't, mm -hmm. I, I can't be uh, so selfish as to leave onions out of every recipe because, you know, the mix of the onions and the meat usually brings out the best of both. And so now, uh, like last night I made a little sausage and peppers on the grill and like Ooh. you gotta have onions in there and pepper like all of that is what makes the flavor it's the whole point of why you do mm -hmm. that so yeah uh, now i mean i love onions and like french onion soup and all that stuff i, I think they're great it's interesting because you talk about being like flavor and kind of enhancing things that's sort of the detente i have with mushrooms now i hated mushrooms growing up and i'm not going to just sit there if someone gives me a side dish of mushrooms I'm not having it. Hmm. But if there are mushrooms on a pizza, if I don't notice them, I'll have them. If there are uh. mushrooms and stuffing, things like that. But that said, if the mushroom is off the pizza and I know and, and is on the side of the plate and I notice it, I'm not eating it. So that's kind of that's kind of where I am. So I asked this with you. Has your newfound affinity for onions translated into having onions when they're not with anything else like in a salad oh. or they're in a salad where you notice the onions 
kind of on the top or are you doing without? I do not mess with um, raw onions, to be honest. Okay. All right. Um, there we go. Yeah, I do not. I don't <laughs> like it in salad. I don't like it on a burger. Uh, red onions, I, I don't really think I just like on the whole. Um, but onions cooked in food, amazing. Last thing I'll say on this, I, I have to apologize to my mom for, for this. But when I was a kid, I hated onions so much that my mom – you know, on the same principles of me now cooking with onions was like, I have to be able to use onions in my cooking or my cooking is going to suck. She would try to mince them into like nothing because she thought she could sneak it by me. (laughs) And I would have like one bite of like meatloaf or something and just be like, there's onions in this and like walk away from the table. So sorry, mom, for being that stubborn. Um, But anyways, I now understand the importance of onions and cooking. Okay. Speaking of, uh, well, I wanted to say things that aren't important, but onions are important. But speaking of things that aren't important, uh, the preseason looks like it is officially on the chopping block. Gone for good. And Mace, I have to say, finally, some good news. This is the best news of the whole <laughs> pandemic. Well, I mean, think back over the years of, of covering football for me and the two worst words in terms of on-field gameplay – that anyone could utter to me were preseason overtime. Oh, God. The, the thing that you don't want that is preseason football. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to get more of it. There was one game I covered – or I didn't cover this game, pardon me. I was in college, and I just went as a fan. And it was the last preseason game, and it was the Bucks against the Jets, and Michael Houston missed an extra point, ensuring that pre- that game went to overtime, tied at nine. So I, I, I remember saying to my, my friend who was with me, they should just cut him right now <laughs> because this, we're going to preseason overtime at the end of the preseason just because this guy missed an extra point. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah, it's – you know what? I get the notion that – there are players on the team that need preseason to prove themselves. I mean, it, the, you can just go down the list over the year of play over the years of players who found themselves in a position where a good performance, even in that final preseason game could swing the team's decision one way or the other on them making the roster. And they did, and they did well. And next thing you know, they were, they were on the 53 and, and in some cases often running for a pretty solid career. I get that. But in the grander scheme of things this year, if you're trying to minimize potential transmission points for coronavirus, then why would you play a game in which the result doesn't matter? Mm -hmm. If you were in a bubble like the NBA is, and the NBA is going to play their games where they, you know, kind of ramp the eight games where they, set seating and ramp up to the playoffs or like the NHL, then it completely makes sense. If you're major league baseball, your sport is basically social distancing. You can pull this off football. It's a collision sport. This is a, it's a contact point and transmission point for this virus that you just, you'd rather avoid, especially if you say, and this is something I heard from JC Treader and DeMar Smith on the NFLPA conference call on Friday. They point out, look, you play preseason and there, and let's say somebody has it because even with testing, you've still got a, you know, 24 hour lag on getting the results. Someone has it. 
and they don't know it and they and the virus spreads and all of a sudden you've put games that matter in jeopardy you put the season that you're trying to complete in jeopardy it's just not worth the risk this year and if you can expand the practice squads and give those guys who'd ordinarily get preseason opportunities a chance to practice with the team for the full season and show the coaches and their teammates what they have in that realm then I think you've provided an effective replacement for those guys who now have maybe a longer chance to show their worth, even though it's not in game conditions. Yeah. You know, a couple things here. One, I am a bum for the players who will have less of a chance to prove themselves. Um, But also, you know, coaches are going to have to trust their eyes a little bit more and um, trust their gut a little bit more. And maybe these guys will be given the benefit of the doubt more than they have been in the past. You know, Oftentimes there's a guy who's bawling out in practice and should probably be running with the second team at the very worst, but Oh, because of his status, he's running with the fourth team. And then he gets just a few reps there late in the last or late in the preseason game. And he doesn't really get a chance to prove himself. If the guy's bawling out, the coach is going to have no choice, but to move him up in practice and see how he performs with the big boys uh, and take his gut feeling on the kid from there. And um, it might actually result in easier opportunity for those players rather than, all you know rather than guilty until proven innocent they might be innocent until proven guilty now in practice so uh i i appreciate that one thing i i hate when people in our positions complain about their jobs uh but covering the preseason is the worst (laughs) because it's it's the same amount of effort for like one millionth of the payoff uh and also all the games are at night. Of course, they're trying to get as much viewership as possible. You know, when there's a primetime game between the Broncos and Chiefs on Sunday night football, uh, it's fun to be at the stadium until 2 in the morning talking about what happened. Uh, when it's Broncos-Cardinals in the preseason and you never even saw a starter t- set foot on the field and you're there until 2 in the morning, it's it feels like a job for maybe the one and only time. So I fully realize the privilege that I have being in this position, but if there's one time where my job feels like a job, it's the preseason. So I'm totally okay with, uh, with scrapping it. Adrenaline matters. And yeah. when it's a big primetime game in the regular season, of course you can go till two or 3 AM because you're running on adrenaline at that point. There's the energy of, of a, of a primetime matchup in the preseason. I, yeah, there. Ha- I will admit, there have been some moments for me over the years where I haven't nodded off, but I've come close. The, the uh, One of the preseason games in Arizona, which I think ha- I've come to associate with the worst of preseason because when the Broncos play a preseason game down there, it's always the final game, and you really are just trying to get through that and get to the regular season and and move on. There was one game where... I think right before it started, I tweeted out a picture of two bottles of five-hour energy because I knew over the course of that evening, going into the overnight hours, flying back to Denver, that I wasn't going to be able to function without this. It's not that I didn't have enough sleep the night before. I just knew that the experience was going to be uh, a little less than robust. The other one I remember that uh, I think was still kind of, it was still kind of crazy, but uh, – kind of funny is that in Arizona one year they took that preseason finale and pushed it back an hour because they didn't want to run up against one of the presidential campaign conventions so 
all of a sudden you're starting the game at eight o'clock Arizona time. And in the summer, that means nine o'clock mountain daylight time. And then, I mean, you're really, you were really dragging by the end of that night, man. I don't know how, how I made it through that one. Yeah. I'll never forget the hall of fame game last year in which they did not have coffee in the press box, which in my opinion is like a crime against humanity. Uh, <laughs> but, oh. I, you know, I'm a two, two coffee guy. I have one coffee in the morning and one coffee in the mid to late afternoon that gets me through the rest of the day. Uh, without that second one that day, I was dragging and it was boring and Drew Locke barely played and I, Kevin Hogan started the game and my god it was tough uh, that's the only time I've ever been watching a football game regardless of who was participating where I thought I was going to fall asleep so see so former CU buff Juwan Winfrey and his hey that was amazing down that that wasn't enough I mean that, of course, yeah. it took a while to get to that point. Right, exactly. That was with the two <laughs> seconds left in the game. So the first 58 minutes and 58 seconds were uh, pretty tough to watch. Hey, Brett Rippon might have uh, solidified his spot that night, too. I mean, he didn't really do much of anything else after that in the preseason. No, that he was also his moment. Kind of threw that one up into the air, and John Winfrey did most <laughs> of the work. Anyways, uh, life without preseason, it's going to be different. Um, it's going to put more emphasis on the coach's ability to scout their own players and practice. Um, it might hurt the opportunity for some of the younger guys. And for that, I do uh, feel bad, but hopefully, like I said, these coaches can, can look on the practice field and say, no, that guy can play. I don't need to see it uh, in live action to know that that guy can cover Cortland Sutton or whatever, you know, whatever the, uh, the, the guy is and whoever he's going up against in practice hopefully coaches can see that and we don't see a lack of opportunity for undrafted players because as we know they're always out there the undrafted mm -hmm. gems are there every year on every team probably there's one uh or at least close to it so this one th that's up to the coaches they got to do their job a little better and john elway as well you know like um you you're gonna have to go a little deeper than just looking on the field and seeing these guys in live action Although I did think of one thing that's uh, going to maybe help teams a little bit. Every year there is a player or two that the team wants to hide and mm -hmm. tries to even hold back in the preseason and even kind of hold back in terms of the publicity they get. Um, I recall a few summers ago being – advised that I uh I shouldn't I shouldn't say as much about Elijah Wilkinson because I noted that he was doing well in some of the early practices and uh mm. I was counseled that um that that, that that Wilkinson was really in favor and uh they knew they might have to potentially get him on the practice squad and uh sort of you know back off a little bit on the effusive praise of Elijah Wilkinson so of course, you know, I was doing my job, so I did that. And Wilkinson ended up going on the practice squad, and then he ended up uh, being promoted and to the 53, and now he's ostensibly in a competition that uh, I don't know is going to be much of a competition for left tackle, but uh, he should at least be a swing backup. I, mean, I think you, you can kind of plan on Elijah Wilkinson being the number six offensive lineman, and that's perfectly fine. And if Jawan James isn't healthy, he probably has to go out there and start extensively once again. So that's something that's not going to exist this year because all, because 
all because you're not going to have a situation where uh, guys can get out there in the games. Like Trevor Simeon is a great example. Trevor Simeon, the plan for him in 2015 was to stash him on the practice squad. But he did so well in the preseason games, and, and everybody had the film on that. Because it's one thing, like, on practice, you can kind of control the flow of information and, and what even us reporters see, even when we're not working for the team. But once you get out there in games, everybody's getting the film. Everyone's able to watch it. And so Trevor did so well that they realized, we don't think we can slip this guy through to the practice squad. And there he ended up sticking on the 53. So now you don't have that. So if Trevor Simeon were a rookie right now, he might do well in practice, but it probably would not uh, be enough to where the Broncos said, okay, he's on the 53. They would try to slip him through the practice squad. Right. Yeah. I bet you we do see, though, some surprise names on the roster. You know, if you're going to guess the roster this year, you're going to have to pay close attention in the practices. And I guess that's a good transition for us to just talk about, you know, what it might look like from our standpoint. We got a tentative plan on what it could look like coming once they do finally have training camp practices whenever that is whether they do a 21 day ramp up or a 14 day ramp up or a seven day ramp up whatever it ends up being we got a little bit of an idea of what it might look like for us sounds like mace there's going to be about 16 to 20 reporters uh at mm-hmm. each training camp practice uh on a rotational basis we we want to believe that we're going to be at every practice. We don't have, we don't know unequivocally yet. Regardless, we're going to figure out a way to get you guys information on what went down at practice. Uh, and of course we hope for at least the most of the time that it will be from one of us who was actually inside the gates, you know, able to break down, take notes like we always do, put out a report like we always do that sort of thing. So just so you guys know, uh, we're doing anything and everything we can to make sure we give you guys the most complete coverage. And I, and I can tell you this, if for some reason one of us isn't in, in there on a given day, we will make sure that we still get you guys the information mm-hmm. that went on in there. Yeah, from what we heard, I would expect that, you'll, that we'll have somebody in there every day. And I think that's really all we can – and it's all we can ask this year mm-hmm. is uh, to have somebody there – every day it's not going to I'd say probably not going to be multiple people there every day just based on the numbers and all the outlets that uh, that you have to satisfy you're not just talking about of course um the Denver Post and uh and DNVR and uh, and the TV stations in this market you're probably talking about even some stations from the springs coming up from time to time you're talking about national outlets coming in as well at least those that are going to be traveling I imagine that uh, you'll probably see you, you may not see the huge thing of NFL network coming in with three or four people and doing a, uh, and, and doing a live thing from the field like they have in the past. But uh, I'd imagine you'd see say James Palmer out there uh, on, on every day. And of course their partner and, uh, and they're going to take care of their partners first. So you're probably, I'm sure you're going to make sure they see uh, channel nine and uh, NFL network and uh, ESPN represent every day, but I expect we will be too. It's just going to, have a different look and feel. Actually, one thing that uh, we learned yesterday is that the viewing spot is going to be up on top of the hill where, of, of where fans sit. And you know what? I've watched practices from up there. That is a better vantage. You see much more. Just make sure you, you bring your binoculars and you bring your sunscreen because you're going you're gonna to be out in the heat. You're going to be out in the sun, but you're going to see an awful lot from there. What you won't get as much of is 
the, like the conversations between players and coaches. You're going to be able, you know, from that distance, you can see that, say, Curtis Modkins is having a long conversation with Phil Lindsay, but you're not going to hear that. You're not going to. So there's going to be a little bit of the, the, the flavor that's kind of that, that comes out in training camp reports that's going to be missing, but at least they seem to have figured out a way to make sure that camp is still covered extensively because I think the NFL as a league understands that this is a different summer for a lot of reasons, but specifically to coverage, it's a different summer because you know what? In August, for the first time, you've got some real competition that can snatch attention away. Of course, you've always got baseball. Baseball is kind of that steady drumbeat that all that goes on throughout the summer. But now you're going to have the NBA and the NHL that are playing high stakes games into the postseason. And that's going to understandably and justifiably suck a lot of the energy out of the room. So the NFL has to make sure that you've got media on hand that's kind of drive that's driving the daily drama of how are players doing on the practice field? Is this guy doing well? Is this guy not doing well? That drives podcasts, that drives sports talk, that fills column inches in papers, that takes up mega that takes up megabytes of, of chatter on the internet. Now, the NFL ha- has to make sure that there's media in there. Otherwise, if the camps were going on and there was nobody and there was nobody watching in the press and nothing getting out there for the public to discuss, believe it or not, training camp could be a little bit of out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people, especially when there's, you know, in this town, there's going to be huge abs and nuggets games for us to talk about. Yeah, it's really true. Uh, And I think the league is very uh, aware of that, that they kind of need us out there um, driving the excitement because, you know, let's be honest. It's we, you know, we are uh, the ones that are going to tell people how great Jerry Judy lo- like looks, and that's going to up excitement. We're going to tell mm-hmm. people, oh, my God, K.J. Hamler just ran right past everyone on the defense, and that's going to ramp up excitement. We're going to tell people, wow, Drew Locke's footwork has really improved, and that's going to drum up excitement. Without us there, you've got you know maybe the team website, with all due respect, uh, putting that out, and you know people will say, okay, well, yeah, they kind of, you know, that's probably what they have to say. Uh, they're not going to tell us Drew Locke looks terrible if he did touch wood. But I, I think that the league is very aware of that. And Mace, that's all I want to be able to do. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need to be able to glean whatever Curtis Modkins was telling Philip Lindsay. Is it fun? little carrot to have? Yeah, it is. I want to be able to say, oh my God, Jerry Judy just put someone in a spin cycle. I want to be able to say, oh, my God, K.J. Hamler is that fast. I want to say, wow, Albert O is a mismatched nightmare. I want to be able to do all this stuff because that's what's fun. That's what makes training camp fun, driving excitement. Yeah, do I, you know, do we want to also be able to talk about the bad things? Of course, that's not as fun. But, you know, there's always narratives that go on through tra- training camp. You know, one last year that I'm thinking of is, like, Connor McGovern can't get the snap off the ground. And we're following this every day. And, like, finally by the end, we're like, okay, it looks like he has it figured out. And I actually don't think he had one that at least cost the Broncos a play during the season. So uh, I just love following those narratives, following the stories, 
you know, you know, uh, the, the training camp darling's going to be a little different this year because there's no fans out there to fall in love. But I, I, that's what gets me going about training camp. Um, and, I, and that's all I'm asking for is just a chance to go out there a couple days and be able to get my eyes on Jerry Judy running routes. Yeah, now all that is going to feel different. Now, there are some recommendations out there from, from, doc, from doctors in terms of how all this should proceed. And, uh, you know, one, things, one thing they're talking about is say, first, well, first of all, the NFL agreed to daily testing for the first couple of weeks. And then if there's not an outbreak, having testing every other day. And that's, that's, that's a reasonable ask, even though it's, it's going to be expensive. It's cool. I, I saw this morning a report that the testing this year could cost the NFL $75 million. Hmm. And you know what? In the grand scheme of football economics, that's a reasonable price to pay. But you hear that number and say, whoa. But the way it's going to work is that players have to have two negative tests. And there's going to be about 24 hours before they get the results of the test. So the players, they start reporting on, on the 28th, but they'd be reporting for, a te- for the first test. They wouldn't be allowed to come into the facility. So test, 24 hours, test, 24 hours. That means they're getting into the facility and starting work on August the 1st. And one of the proposals out there involves 21 days for strength and conditioning, a 10-day non-pad ramp up and then 14 days of over which you'd have 10 full pad practices if that happens if they go on that timeline that act, that would take them to september 15th which by the way is two days after the first full sunday of the season and that's why i think maybe the the wise play here for the league for the teams and being in an environment where there's no preseason games to help you get ready for the se- for the regular season would be to try to get everybody in on time for camp, but think in terms of pushing back the start of the regular season a week or two. Now, that's something that's it's very easy to do in the con in the context of the schedule because you have the bye before the Super Bowl that if you have to wipe it out, you can. The league is play the Super Bowl without bye before, and it's been perfectly fine. And then you've got the bye in the season. And every week two game features two teams that share the same bye. So if you got rid of the cup of the Super Bowl, pre-Super Bowl bye and the regular season bye, you're taking Steelers, Broncos, you're moving it to midseason, that's it. And you're still keeping the idea of a 16-game season alive, which is something that I think everybody wants to shoot for, and it's worth shooting for. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the goal here. We want a 16-game season. We want, you know, we just launched the, the, the campaign, the quest for the asterisk, and we're kind of leaning into this whole idea that, you know, oh, they're going to want to put an asterisk on all these different <laughs> seasons. Uh, and, hell, if it happens, we'll lean into it with the Broncos too, but it'd be nice for no one to be able to try and say, Oh, this season doesn't count as much as any other season. Um, and like I said, you know, we can, we will joke about it over here uh, for all of these. And, and I kind of like the idea of, the, of this campaign, which is, yeah, this is different. Uh, and in, in a way to whatever city wins this, these championships, it will be more meaningful 
uh, everyone in, in every city right now could use something to rally around. So these sports teams are going to be huge for that. But it would be nice to be able to say 16-game season, yeah, a couple players um, you know, had to miss a couple weeks, unfortunately. But in the end, that happens every season. Yeah, and you know what? I, I, I remember that coming up at another conversation I had about a month ago about, oh, is the title going to be tainted or less than legitimate? because of everything that's going on because you know maybe you go up against a team and you don't have to face their star player because of a positive test and I, th- I thought you know do we put asterisks by the shortened seasons in NFL history I mean is there an asterisk next to Washington for winning the Super Bowl in the 1982 season when there were only nine games no uh, most and- people don't care <laughs> Yes, exactly. Is there an asterisk next to, next to the San Antonio Spurs' first title in 99 because there were only 50 regular season games that year in the NBA? No. I mean, I, certainly I, I don't – as a Atlanta Braves fan, I'm not putting an asterisk next to their 1995 World Series that was won because in a season that was shortened a little bit, uh, I believe, by 18 games because of – because of the lingering player strike that carried over from the previous year. I mean, I think if we're not going to put asterisks on those, we're not going to put an asterisk on this one. We shouldn't. And if anything, considering all that's gone on this year, both in terms of the pandemic and both with a lot of guys that are justifiably uh, taking care, handling things and being active in the social justice sphere, you know, Black Lives Matter and things like that, if anything, winning a title this year is actually a testament of your mental and emotional fortitude. 100%. Because, because this, is, this has been a year unlike any other that any of us on this earth have experienced in terms of what we've seen, what we've, what we've experienced. And to win a title in the middle of all that, in the, in the middle of a raging pandemic, is I, I think it's going to it's going to further validate whichever teams that win. I mean, you know, it seems kind of trivial now, but one of the, one of the items on Joe Gibbs's uh, resume that justifiably puts him, in my opinion, among the three or four greatest NFL head coaches of all time is that his teams won in two titles in two strike years, which meant that he figured out how to keep the ship stable when there was all sorts of chaos going on so I, I don't regard this year as an asterisk I regard it as something that enhances the title that you win so if you know if it's the if it's the, the abs that win the Stanley Cup then you know what it's I think it may in some ways have more meaning than the 96 and 01 titles yes and honestly for better you know people say there's not going to be parade this that or the other thing for better or for worse <laughs> I don't think you're going to be able to stop people from being in the streets if well, they're no. championship. So uh, it, it'll be different, but you know, like we said in the video, it'll be more meaningful in, in its own way. Maybe there's a different way to do it. Maybe instead of having a big parade, it's a, a, a caravan of cars that goes all around the area. Maybe it's like, it's instead of a big parade through downtown that everyone comes to, maybe it's if the Avs win, You've got a caravan that that rolls through all that spends a day just rolling through all these neighborhoods and people with social distance can gather like all of a sudden like, okay, 
at 10 a.m. that they're going to be rolling, they're going to be rolling down University, you know, uh, through the Wash Park area. And at, uh, you know, at 10.05, they're going to, they're going to be in University Hills. And maybe like at 11.30, they're going to be in Highlands Ranch. And at 12 o'clock, they're going to be in Parker. And then they just, they kind of roll through and everyone waves and they show off the cup. And you could do that over the course of, of an entire day. And that would be pretty damn awesome. Yeah, I, I think that is really awesome. The only thing I'm saying is I have a feeling the parade will take place directly after the team uh, hoists the cup and everyone <laughs> takes to the streets. Just go, just goes out there and, yeah. and celebrates. And, yeah, that'll happen too. I, yeah. I, I admit people are going to, uh, going to be giddy over that. But uh, if, if it happens, I don't want to jinx it here and put the cart before the horse. But let's just say I think the Avs have, a, have an excellent shot. I, I'm, I've been riding Avs Lightning as my Stanley Cup Finals pick, and I'll stick with it. You, you kind of uh, had a double, uh, double meaning there, riding Avs Lightning. <laughs> riding the Lightning. Uh, all right, well, you know, if you ever get the Stanley Cup in your hands, you're probably going to want to drink out of it. At least that's what I would want to do. Uh, and I would probably pour a, a Breck Brew in there. Now, you could go Avalanche Amber Ale because that would be fitting for the Avs Stanley Cup. You could go Mile High City, even though it's mostly a uh, Nuggets-focused beer. It's still talking about the Mile High City where the Avs reside. Uh, but no matter what, you probably want some sort of Breck Brew in there. Uh, and might I recommend the Mile High City 15-can pack. Uh, some call it the Jokic pack. I am one of those people. Uh, it matches the 15-pack that he now has uh, as a skinny man. Uh, so shout out Jokic, shout out Breck, shout out the Mile High City 15 cam pack. Get yourself one today. And after you do that, head over to manscaped.com and get yourself 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code DNVR20 over at Manscaped. All the products there are awesome. I use every single one that they sent to me. Uh, and I'm starting to run low. And I, I can tell you guys with the utmost honesty that I will be restocking all of my Manscaped products. Uh, the Lawnmower 3.0, that one won't need any restocking because that is a high-quality product. But, man, the Crop Preserver, I'm, I'm running through it every time I hit the golf <laughs> course. Got to get in on that. And the Crop Reviver, I have actually have a newfound love for as well. Just a little spritz to wake things up, if you know what I'm saying. So, anyways, uh, head over to manscaped.com. Use code DNVR20 for all of your manscaping needs. All right, let's head into the questions from our fair listeners. And the first one here. Comes in from TK Freeze. It's pretty much completely R-rated, and I don't think we can say any of it, but I'll tell you the gist of it is F Mike Kliss, and that's about all we need to know about it. Yeah, let's see here. Um, oh, he, he, only had a, he only had one F-bomb in this, it's, it, but there's also a, another insult that we can't say <laughs> on the air. So, But uh, uh, we, we appreciate you, and uh, I mean, because – as he says, I know three reporters who are ten times better than you, Mike, and uh, <laughs> I think he's talking about us. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, True Champ Fan 24, time for Ticked Off Tuesday. After talking about the Madden Rings, my buddy, he believes Cortland Sutton is too highly rated. He believes there are 30 or more wideouts in the NFL. He would take over Sutton, including, and I'm just going to read the names, and you can say yes or no. Robbie Anderson. Hell no. No from me as well. Sammy Watkins. Nope. Nope. Hollywood Brown. I'd have to think about it. It depends on my offense, but probably no. Okay. It depends what I need. If yeah. I'm looking for a vertical speed guy, 
I am taking Hollywood Brown because I, I think he's going to explode this yeah, year. Yeah, he's, he's dope. Yeah, he's he's legit. Emmanuel Sanders? No, God, no. No, not at this point in his career. Right, 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 exactly. And then finally, Allen Robinson. Man, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I haven't watched enough Allen. I've watched every Cortland Sutton snap of his career. I haven't watched every Allen Robinson snap. So I, I, I think that one's probably a lot closer than some of these other ones. But I, I'm, I just lean Cortland Sutton because I think his ceiling is so high. I would agree. But Allen Robinson, it's close. And you can say some of the same things about Robinson that you say about Sutton because, you know, my praise of Allen Robinson is that the guy has had north of 1,100 yards in seasons with Mitchell Trubisky and hmm. Blake Bortles throwing him the football. Well, impressive. it's impressive what Cortland Sutton did last year as well, going through Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, and then finally the young Drew Locke getting his feet wet. Yeah, exactly. It's it, both guys, um, really good receivers. You know, you can make that case. But uh, how about Phil Sim? Wait, no, Chris Sims. Chris Sims came out with his top ten receivers in the entire mm-hmm. NFL yesterday, and he had Cortland Sutton at number ten. So, a wide range of thoughts on Cortland Sutton here. Madden has him what twenty fourth, seventh. This Chris guy Sims. has him thirtieth. Chris Sims has him tenth. Chris Sims is wise. Yes, yes. Hearing that, hearing that wisdom the hard way by losing his spleen playing for Tampa Bay, but he is a, he is a wise man, kind of like his father. Yeah. Even though I know people don't like Phil Sims as an analyst for games, and I get that, but he was one of the smartest quarterbacks who's come through the NFL. From Mark IT Snatch, hey, guys. Since the best games against the AFC West has already been talked about, let's go around the league, one division per week, and review the best game against that division. Overall, on Feel Good Friday. Uh, we'll start – with the AFC North, specifically the Baltimore Ravens. This does not include their time as the Cleveland Brown. What is the best Broncos game against the Ravens? And if Mace is there, what about the Bucks and Ravens? Okay, the best Broncos game against the Ravens, even though you kind of remember this in light of what happened just under a month later, it's that game in December of 2016 when the Broncos – went to Baltimore, a place where they'd had no success. I think at the time they went there, they literally had not won a game in Baltimore since the 1970s and pounded Baltimore. That was the one where uh, Chris Harris Jr. had the pick six right before the end of the first half, and Joe Flacco is chasing him and then dives and fails, and there's that great picture of of, uh, Joe Flacco on the ground, his head, his head bowed as he failed to catch Chris Harris Jr. Broncos win at 34-17. That, was, that game was a lot of fun to cover, and I'll admit, it was that game, that day, that made me think, this team can and should win the Super Bowl right now. Absolutely obliterated them. Yep. Um, I mean, if we're being completely honest, the best game between the Broncos and Ravens the Broncos were on the wrong side of it. Uh, but the best Broncos yeah. positive game, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head there. What about and, Bucks and Ravens? Well, first of all, the one thing I – one other one I'll toss in is the opening game the next year where Peyton Manning had like, what was it, seven touchdown passes? Yeah. Oh, that's got to yeah. be my pick. Okay, there you go. So, from the best Bucks ravens game for me, they played a game late in the, in the 2001 season. It was actually, I believe – it was actually supposed to be 
the, the game that ended the regular season, but they took week two that was postponed because of 9-11 and put it on the end of the year. So it was the, the next to the last game. And the Bucks were kind of – they were fighting to, to make the playoffs. They were like eight, eight and six, not a great team. And, and they take on the Ravens, and, the, and it was one of those games. You had the Bucks defense and Ravens defense, both kind of at the peak of their powers. And it was a sort of game where it was just – you're going to have to basically grind it out. Everything felt, everything that happened felt like pulling teeth. And the thing that the Bucks did is they had signed Doug Bryan off the street because Martin Gramatica was hurt. He basically keeps them in the game, cleans it up for the offense, not being able to do much to close things out, gets three field goals. And then finally at the end, the Bucks start breaking down the Ravens. They get a couple of drives. Uh, even though I think Bragg Johnson didn't even throw for 100 yards that night, they win, and I believe the score was like 21-10, 22-10, something like that, and put the Bucks in the playoffs. And I got to cover that. And, you know, I was still at the point where I'm sitting in the press box and I'm, you know, unemotional, but deep in my heart as a fan, go Bucks, go Bucks, go Bucks. So I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I was always pretty excited when I covered a Bucks game in those days, working as an editor on the league website. I'd go cover a Bucks game and they won, and that meant that I got to go to the Bucks locker room and I get to, got to write about a Bucks win. If they lost, because I was usually chronicling the winning team, if they lost the game I covered, then I had to grudgingly go to like the Lions locker room or the Washington <laughs> locker room or something like that, and I and I hated it with every fiber of my being, but. <laughs> But that's the one that jumps out to me. That's good. Uh, from Broncos Sooners, New York Rangers, he says, hey, guys, let's talk Broncos. But first, some food talk. What is the dish you're best at making? Think that you're trying to impress a date or people coming over for a dinner party. Ooh. So this has uh, changed for me throughout my times. I used, I used to really lean hard on my chicken teriyaki, uh, which was pretty bomb. But of recent, I have a very – very specific go-to dish it is my grilled fajitas uh, I, I, I home make from scratch the fajita sauce you know a lot of people I won't name names here but buy their fajita sauce uh, from the store I hand make the fajita sauce uh, at home do you know marinate it and then I take a big old sheet of tinfoil uh, line the entire grill heat the whole damn thing up and throw all the, you know, whether it's uh, beef or chicken and uh, peppers and onions on there and get them all grilled up and get those nice grill marks on there. And, oh, man, they're great. That's awesome. I'd love to try that. I'd love to try that sauce, actually, sometime. Because if you're making it from scratch, there's really nothing like made-from-scratch sauces and salsas. We make some salsas from scratch sometime. And Agreed. It's better, with all respect, and I get some good salsas uh, at the store, but uh, it's better and it's fresher. For me, it's, it's beef and chorizo enchiladas, and I will, I will do them with uh, doused in green chili sauce. Yeah, so, let's go. I, I will admit it's not my own green chili sauce. I'm going out. <laughs> I'm actually kind of synthesizing. I, I'm combining uh, mm-hmm. A couple of green chili sauces, like I'm. So I've got kind of a base. I've got kind of a base of thinner sauce, and then also um, some thicker sauce that I'll pick up. 
and I'll put and I'll kind of put them together and stir and stir them together and then pour it over the beef chorizo enchiladas. I'll sometimes I'll do red and green as well, but my wife says she likes the green better. And as I've my taste buds have kind of evolved, I've come to like the the green enchiladas better. And oh boy, I mean, I may have to make some before the end of this week here before we go off to training camp. Well, I've got you know one thing about training camp is that. Uh, you know, everything kind of gets compressed a little bit. I don't have as much time to cook, so I need to do a little cooking here this week. That sounds like something for a Friday night meal here. Oh, yeah, that's a good call, good call. And that's that's my other thing is I'm learning how to make everything I like on the grill just because I like being outside and drinking a, a, a Breck brew while my food cooks, you know, smelling the, the uh, onions caramelizing on the grill, all that good stuff. Um, one other thing that's just been on my mind lately that I want, I kind of want to learn to cook myself. My new favorite dish, or at least my, my favorite dish right now is molcajete, which Ooh. I think I talked about uh, last week, which it's basically, they take a volca- uh, a bowl made of volcanic rock, they put it okay. in the oven, and they just let it sit in there until someone orders this. Um, so when they pull it out, it is extremely hot. And then they throw in sauce in a bunch of different types of meat and it all just cooks in the sauce wow it's incredible and i i think i kind of want to learn how to do it myself um definitely would need some like special places to set these bowls and all different stuff because you can't just be taking like a volcanic rock that's damn near on Mm -hmm. fire and just setting it on your counter um but i kind of want to learn to make it myself because i don't think it's that difficult once you have the procedures in place you know, once we kind of get back to normal and full capacity over the DNVR bar, we should almost find a way to share our recipes with the with the world at large. That would be fun. That would be a lot of, you know, it, it could be, you know, RK's fajitas. You can already get the RK special over there. And, <laughs> uh, Mace's green chili enchiladas. And, and the, best, the best thing about uh, mine is that I'll say this. I like the fact that if we ever did have enchiladas on the on the on the menu at the bar the fact that we could denverize it and ensure that they were green chili that i think would only enhance it as a potential offering at our fine restaurant yeah one of our uh goals early on in the bar was to get brandon's green chili in there and he makes probably the best green chili i've ever had so i want to yeah i want to do this actually with brandon's green chili at some point yes because i because based on what i have been told about his green chili that would take these enchiladas to another level entirely yep from grumpy pancake top of the morning lads more like afternoon at this point but hey time is an illusion right anyways thanks for clarifying the franchise tag thing for me last week i have a much better understanding of its purpose now all this talk of crappy madden ratings makes me think of something i'm curious did you guys ever play old school football games like back when 2k was making them got to share something on this note Back in the day, my parents got me a Sega Dreamcast for my 13th birthday in 2000. Hot damn, I feel old. And it came with NFL 2K1, which made me overjoyed. Such a great game for its time. Awesome tackling, cringy yet charming announcers, easy to learn mechanics, simple, simply a really fun football simulation. As an only child, I wasn't bothered much by people growing up. Uh, So lots of times I'd rev up NFL 2K1, create myself in the game as the Broncos quarterback with all kinds of overinflated attributes, turn down the announcers and pretend I was commentating the game myself. Silly, I know, but I had lots of fun doing it. Random weird stuff I did as a child story, but I hope you all enjoyed it nonetheless. Have an awesome ticked off Tuesday. Well, first of all, 
Uh, I never had a Sega Dreamcast, but I did have an original Nintendo 64 and a Super Nintendo, and I think maybe the one before that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the, what you're describing is my experience with NFL Blitz. Um, yes. It was such a great game. So I mean, the graphics were as bad as graphics can possibly be, but the game itself was so much freaking fun. And then one other thing, uh, I always created myself in these games. I don't think you could do that in Blitz. Uh, but in the later games, I would create myself. And actually, sometimes I would create my entire football team as a team on the game. Uh, and I, too, my mom has videos of me, not with video games, but with actual sporting events. I would mute the TV and try to call the game myself. Yeah, NFL Blitz was fun, although I didn't have the, the home version. I, I would play the arcade version a lot. There actually used to be an NFL Blitz in the, at the time, very small players lounge over by the locker room and so when players weren't in the building the off season I just needed to take a break I'd go down and play blitz for like 20 or 30 minutes and that's awesome just have a ball now there are some great stories from NFL blitz I I think it was uh Steve Atwater playing Rod Smith and uh Steve kicked a field goal at the last second and thought he'd won but he needed a touchdown oh my god (laughs) Kicking field goals in that game was hard. Yeah. Steve's celebrating, and he's and Rod's like, oh, wait a minute, Steve. I once and remember, I was like, man! I once remember I was playing my buddy, and there was a glitch in the game where every time he got hit, he fumbled. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I've ever seen someone so mad about a video game. Like, after the first four times, he just, like, slammed the controller and left. I probably would too if I was fumbling every damn time. I'd probably be like, there, "There's, there had to be a, a, like you said, a glitch in it." I love Tecmo, and this is going older school. Tecmo, and then Tecmo Super Bowl. Now, Tecmo Super Bowl in particular, that game was a revelation because it was the mm. first game for any arcade system that had all the teams and almost all the players, there were a few players that did not agree to the licensing. So that's why, for example, the Philadelphia Eagles are led by a quarterback that plays exactly like you would expect a video game version of Randall Cunningham in his prime to play, but he is referred to on the game as QB Eagles. (laughs) But it's, it's funny because there were, I wouldn't say glitches, but they they did some interesting things. Okay, one glitch is Bob Nelson. Bob Nelson, a nose tackle for the Packers, who is completely unblockable and is absolutely of of no note. And for my Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I played with a lot, they had Wayne Haddix. Now, Wayne Haddix, in 1990, the season that was used as the basis for all the ratings on Tecmo Super Bowl, Wayne Haddix that year had seven interceptions and returned three for touchdowns. Now, in terms of coverage, he was terrible. He couldn't cover anybody, but he stayed in the lineup because he could make those big plays. Teams were throwing at him because he gave a lot of cushion and uh, it was easy to get yards on him. But every so often, he knew how to anticipate the, the ball coming his way and would make a play on it. So the Tecmo designers looked at the three pick sixes and said, we have to make this guy into a virtually unstoppable player. And so 
He's one of the fastest players on the game. And so if you're playing as the Bucks for an entire season on that, Wayne Haddix might end up with 20 picks and 40 sacks if you're playing with him correctly. The oh funny God. thing on Wayne Haddix, the, the postscript on this, is that the following year, after he went to the Pro Bowl, in part because of those three picks, the three pick sixes, the magic was gone, and he literally got cut at midseason. Oh, wow. Didn't even make it to November on the roster. How crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, that th- those are the, those are the, the – I wouldn't call them glitches, but the fun things. And, of course, Bo Jackson on that version of Tecmo Super Bowl, as we all know, is probably the most unstoppable player in video game history. Yes, of course. Super Bowling. Mace, do me a favor. Educate those guys on ALF and get smart. Some of the funniest shows of all time, if I do say so myself. Wonder if the cone of silence can be implemented to limited exposure during uh, exposure risk during <laughs> meetings. Swear I was born into the wrong generation. Yes, yeah, Super Bowling is my age. <laughs> Which means that you weren't born when Alf or Get Smart was on the air. I wasn't born when Get Smart was on the air. I saw the reruns, and then I also saw the cartoon that was largely inspired by Get Smart, which was Inspector Gadget. And the voice of Inspector Gadget, Don Adams, also played Maxwell Smart in Get Smart. So it was ba- there. Basically, they were kind of in this in these parallel universes and had a lot of the same things going on. Um, Alf, as a kid, I really liked Alf. That show came on when I was 10 years old. My grandfather, of all people living in England, loved Alf. I think because uh, my grandfather fancied himself as a, as a total, total wise ass. And that was pretty much Alf to a T. And, uh, you know, Alf always trying to, uh, to cook the family cat because on Melmac cats were a delicacy that everybody loved. Oh man. Yeah, I, don't, I can't even say I've ever seen a clip. I know what the guy looks like, but I don't. I have no clue what like the theme of the show is or anything. Of Alf? Yeah. Okay, you know that he's an alien then. Well, Alf, I know that he looks weird. Alf stands for Alien Life, life Form. form A L F. And he basically he he looks like a hairy anteater, and he has a voracious appetite. And he basically tries to eat the the tanners, the family that hosts him, out of out of house and home. They they have to go through all these all these tricks to try to to hide him because obviously they don't want everybody to know that they've got an alien living in their house. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those shows that if you ever see a rerun, it doesn't hold up. Uh, of course. But if you're of my generation and you watched it, the nostalgia factor kicks in. I think it, it was on Monday nights at 8 o'clock, so right. you know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was geared toward a, a family audience, a kid audience, but uh, yeah. yeah, that, that was It's that, always that was sad. Fun. It's always sad when you see, like, I watched Waterboy recently, and I was like, oh, this didn't really hold up. This didn't really survive the times. Uh, it's, always, it's always kind of a sad realization. Well, as things are changing rapidly, there are a lot of things that uh, you look back on and, and you're like, oh, man. There was, this weekend, while I was doing some work, I went into my extensive library. Over the years, as people put old NFL games on YouTube, I have a way of downloading them. And so I've built up a library of about 1,000 old NFL games, including about 200 or so Bronco games and about as many Buccaneer games. 
So I popped on the Bucks Falcons week one game from 1987, where the Bucks set a then franchise record by scoring 48 points in a 48-10 win. And this version had the commercials left in. And one of the two commercials jumped out. One was an Energizer commercial with Jacko, an ex-Australian rules football player, yelling for 30 seconds to buy Ener Energizer batteries. You know, Energizer, it'll surprise you! And just going crazy, wearing like a, a bot, like a unitard bodysuit kind of thing. And at the end, after you hear the voice, laboratory tested to, to last longer, this guy sneers at the camera and yells, Oi! Like that. Oh my appara God. So apparently we thought back in the 80s that an Australian guy yelling at us would sell batteries. And then a couple of commercial breaks later, Joe Piscopo doing a vaguely Asian accent that is just like – as politically incorrect as you can get wearing a faux Bruce Lee wig selling Miller Lite. Oh and boy. I, saw, I saw that and I thought, Oh my God, I, I can't believe this was acceptable. Wow. But that, times change. And, yes. And, <laughs> yes, they do. Thankfully. But I saw, I, 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 that, I was sort of watching it and sort of, and doing some work as well, but that commercial stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, Oh my, I, I can't believe that, that I thought this was normal at one point. Crazy. Next one, here, next one here is from Ohio Bronco 70. The Madden ratings are a joke. I can't wait for the league to see how good our team will be within the first four weeks and get those roster updates going. Do you guys have any ideas when you'll be doing the pods together at the DNVR bar? I remember you guys talking about it before uh, everything got shut down, but I just can't wait to hear the chemistry between you guys in person. Uh, yeah, basically once training camp starts is probably when we will be at the bar. Uh, our plan is to record a podcast every single day at the bar after training camp. So it'll be kind of, you know, hopefully it'll be kind of a, a routine for some of you uh, who live in town to come down and, uh, and hear our takeaways from training camp right after we we uh we hear them have a beer enjoy hang out we'll we'll get food afterwards and then you know all that good stuff it should hopefully that becomes a routine yep all i ask is keep your social distance but uh we we have we have uh you know restrictions in place of course on how many can come in but uh if you can get in there we'd uh, we'd love to have you down joining us for the podcast it'd be a lot of fun yeah absolutely uh, he goes on, lastly, everyone, please keep a mask on in public. We need to cooperate to have our Broncos play this season or even football in general. Here in Ohio, our high school football season is in question, as it has been for the last couple of weeks. Please, we want a season. No matter how selfish that sounds, we need a season. Sorry for such a long comment. Have a good day, boys. And, and I couldn't agree more. And as I said kind of last time we talked about masks on here, it's just even if you thought it might have a .00001 percent impact on whether or not there's a football season why would you not do your part there's very few times where you can actually um impact what's going on you know with your sports teams or with the world at large right now you have a chance and, and whether you think it's going to make a big difference or not i just think it's worth it to minorly inconvenience yourself for the greater good absolutely it's funny because Ohio Broncos says, you know, he wants football and it sounds, and it sounds selfish because, Hey, we all kind of, we all kind of feel that way, but we know there are bigger things at work than just football. But the way to get there is by doing literally the least selfish thing you can do because the mask is about 
every, it's about everybody. It's about try. It's about trying to clamp down the spread of this virus and making sure that we, as an entire society, can can get back to normal. And ultimately, in terms of transmission, the mask is about protecting everybody else around you. It's completely unselfish. Yeah, uh, and as someone said on Twitter, which I completely agree with, that was the problem: was branding masks as doing it for other people. Um, because there's too many selfish people in this country. If you just told people that it was for themselves, they probably wouldn't warn them. Uh, from Dan Burke, it's hashtag trade talk Tuesday. So let's talk trades. Tell me what y'all think. One, Deshaun Hamilton for Akello Witherspoon. Niners need receiver help. Deshaun played in Shanahan's system last year. Akello got benched and it seems like the team lost faith in him, but he has a size, speed, length, uh, that Fangio likes. And he has experience in his own heavy scheme. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's a buff right there, so count mm-hmm. me in. Um, Deshaun, the only my, – my biggest, I guess, um, thing against this is Deshaun has a role in this offense. So you're not trading someone that you just have no use for. Um, while I think K.J. Hamler will be your number three receiver, Deshaun Hamilton showed that he can be effective with Drew Locke last year. And having a, a, you know, a guy who can work his way into the middle of zones and, and, you know, just go six, seven yards at a time is, is worth something too. Yeah. I like this in theory that said, if I had a choice, I'd try to do it with Tim Patrick, no offense to him, but with Tim Patrick, you have a couple of comparable receivers in skill set that are coming up behind him in Juwan Winfrey and Tyree Cleveland, who yeah. you may be able to rely on at least for that special teams gunner type of role this year. And Deshaun Hamilton, like you said, ha- has value. And he's kind of the, if you're looking for like a prototypical slot receiver who doesn't have burner speed, but runs good routes and gets open and can keep the chains moving, Deshaun Hamilton has that skill set. And when you need that, if KJ Hamler's a little slow to develop, he can bail you out. I, I just for him, because I really like Deshaun Hamilton as a player, and I also like him as a person. He's a good dude. And honestly, I can't recall many moments where I ached more for a player than when Deshaun dropped that pass against the Chargers last year when he was open because he needed that. He needed yeah. that for himself, needed that for Drew Locke's confidence in him, and, and Drew did keep throwing to him over the course of the rest of the year. But that's, you know, there are some times that kind of it gets you emotionally when a guy doesn't come up with the play. That was one of them for me. Yeah, he also dropped a big touchdown in Oakland in week one. Mm-hmm. That's why he needed that one against the Chargers all the more because he already had that drop on his resume. And here he is, kind of like the – game in Oakland first game with a new quarterback that he's working with here's a chance to kind of build that confidence and uh, show he's a target and oh man gotta bring that ball in before you take off Deshaun yeah yeah just a shame uh yeah. his his second trade here Royce Freeman for Cravon LeBlanc Skangarello is now senior offensive assistant there and the Eagles need a power back to compliment Miles Sanders. They have decent depth when it comes to slot corners so they can afford to part ways with a guy who might not even make the roster. And LeBlanc also played well for Fangio when he was with the Bears. So there's a preexisting relationship there. I'm sure the Broncos might like that, but um, I can kind of tell you that I don't think Rich Skangarello would be pounding the table for Royce Freeman there in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, we talk about, players and say well they played for this coach that that coach might want him again 
doesn't always work that way. No, no, exactly. <laughs> that's that's sort of the big one of the big secrets of covering football is that uh, we all talk about oh, well, he played for this his, this coach, so he's going to fit in. Mm. Sometimes that experience tells the coach that the player's not a fit. Yep. Three, Jeff Hireman for Hassan Riddick. Cardinals need tight end depth desperately. Jeff Hireman would automatically be their best tight end. LOL. Riddick is in a contract year, coming off a bad season, and they de- and they declined his fifth year option, so they're probably moving on after this season. But he has intriguing tools as an inside linebacker that might be worth taking a flyer on. Sign me up. I loved Riddick coming out. That's one I'm going to admit that so far I've missed on. But Arizona has really struggled to figure out a spot for him. He's he's kind of, he's kind of hard to classify, and that was one of the knocks on him coming out. Jeff Hireman, as I wrote in my tight ends piece that in, on the camp competition series that you can see on thedmbr.com right now. Jeff Hireman has a big cap number. If you're trying to save cash and cap, he's going to be an easy cut. I would like to see the Broncos find a way to trade him to get something of value back, even if it's a day three conditional pick. But I would definitely take Hassan Riddick if the Cardinals offered him up for Hireman straight up. That would make a lot of sense. But uh, how? what do the Cardinals think of Hireman? And, of course, I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury would ask Vance Joseph what he thought of Jeff Hireman, too. And Vance would say something like, oh, Jeffy? Love Jeffy. Uh, okay. Oh, here Jeff- you go. The count. Yeah. Jeffy, it's like the, like the kid in Family Circus. <laughs> count- I definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Count Locula. Room temperature Tillamook butter on a heavily toasted slice of local bread. A single sunny side up egg. Malden sea salt. A twist of coarse ground pepper. Fresh herb garnish if you've got it. 100 rating. Love the count. Mmm. So that I re- sounds really good. It does sound really good. So I recently discovered this really good keto bread, um, which honestly tastes exactly like regular bread. It's kind of miraculous. Uh, and Allie has been making me um, avocado toast. Basically exactly what you're talking about here with an egg and all that, but with avocado on it. And my God, it is incredible. Ooh, I like the sound of that. I love also the fried egg sandwich, too, in general. And there's a football story behind it because before every Bucks road game, I would make a fried egg sandwich for myself. Right. Now, I didn't use butter. I used mayonnaise. So it was mayonnaise, bread, a slice of cheese, and the fried egg. And then I'd get my Buccaneer glass and pour some orange soda in it, and I was good to go. Believe me, it was not for good luck because they lost an awful lot of road games. It was just my ritual, my habit that I like to do on Sundays. And, and even now, if I'm home to watch a Bucks game, and this is in the afternoon, not like if it's a night game. If, I'm home, if the Broncos are on a bye or they're playing a Thursday game and I'm at home and I'm going to crank up the Bucks on Sunday ticket, I still do the same thing. I get my Bucks glass. I get a Friday egg sandwich sit down and watch the game and hope for the best there you go um all of these things are better on a bagel though really yep mm. i think what bagel it's not a blueberry bagel no 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 like an everything bagel <laughs> okay i'm a i would be willing to make the case that almost i'm not going to say all but almost all sandwiches are better on a bagel okay here's the one thing about a fried egg, and I've had egg, I've had an egg sandwich on a bagel, but 
the key to making it work is making sure that the yolk is not runny. Because if the yolk is runny and you have the hole in the bagel, it kind of causes a little bit of a mess and sometimes it drips out onto your hands if you don't have it in a napkin. So I like to make sure that the yolk has been cooked if I'm yeah. having, so like it, it's a poached egg, kind of like you get on a, McDa a McDonald's egg McMuffin mm -hmm. on the fried egg, on, on the egg on a bagel. If that happens, then you got something that, that you can really work with and it's also practical. Right, but even if you go like um, turkey and Swiss, on a Parmesan bagel or something like that. Like that's going to be amazing. Mm. I also just throw it into uh, the panini press Ooh. and bring it all together. So now it's kind of like a toasted bagel, but also a panini. It's amazing. I like lox, cream cheese and capers on, on a bagel oh. on like a pumpernickel bagel. So uh, you lost me with capers and pumpernickel, but lox and cream cheese <laughs> uh, on a bagel. Yeah. That, that's a big go-to for me. Okay. I love yeah. lox. Capers are are polarizing. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I I don't know why, but I guess they're too bitter for some people, too salty. I I just don't I don't I don't they don't add anything to me. Like I'd rather just put a little little spritz of salt on there and get okay. get them get my salt that way. That's fair. Very fair. Uh, real quick, a shout out to WGT World Golf Tour. It's the best golf app in the world, uh, and you can play with us go to dnvrgolf.com and download from there and you can get yourself a awesome setup in the dnvr country club you just go type in dnvr2 into the search bar dnvr number two no space and get in on all that we're doing over at wgt we've got weekly tournaments that you can play and compete against your fellow dnvr family members compete against me may zach uh, the whole DNVR family gets in on these tournaments. So dnvrgolf.com, that's how they know that you're a, a DNVR family member. And then just go to the DNVR2 Country Club. Really fun stuff going on there at WGT. And also, make sure you check out Green Mountain Dental Group, the best damn family-owned dental group in the metro area. Schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam today, and they'll give you a free Sonicare toothbrush, which is a sick deal because Sonicare toothbrushes aren't exactly the cheapest thing in the world. So, Head over there to Green Mountain Dental Group. Diehard Colorado sports fans. Support a local business and get your teeth taken care of. All right, let's finish off the questions here as we move into the home stretch. Mace, you got the next one? Yeah, from Wildcard. Hey, fellas, I like to start off by saying, ladies and gentlemen, I got her. This last week I proposed to my girlfriend and she said yes. Hey, well, Congratulations, Wildcard. Now on to football. How do you guys think a shortened season will affect the Broncos' playoff hopes? In the, in the case of a shortened season, would it be likely we still play two games against each of our division rivals? As always, thanks for the great content. Yeah, fellas. Yeah, boy. Wild card. All right. Uh, I guess that would be an easy thing to cut, right? Um, it, or you cut all the non-division games. I guess you could go either way. Uh, but you mm. could just say you play each team in the division one time. Uh, and get rid of, you know, what would that be, six games? Or, no, three, three. games. Three mm -hmm. games, yeah. Yeah, maybe what you would start with is cut it. If you could just right now cut games, maybe you start with the second divisional game and then for, for each opponent, and then the next two that you cut would be the ones that aren't against the AFC East and NFC South. Maybe you're, you're cutting the, ga the one game you have against – an AFC South opponent than one game you have against an AFC 
North opponents. That would be the Titans and the Steelers this year. But it's more likely that if you have a season, if, if you start on time and then hopefully this won't happen, spike and you have to put the season on pause, that you may kind of have to reconstruct a little bit at the end. Like in 1982, for example, when they lost eight weeks because of a strike, they, had, they created a week at the end of the regular season and it wasn't borrowed from any one week that was lost during the strike. They just put together a game, a, a matchup that was at some point that was lost. So some teams saw like their week five matchup taken and put on the end of the regular season. Some week eight, for example, because they wanted to make sure they had balance and they allowed it for every team to have at least four home games. Most of those games were division games, like Denver closed against the Seattle Seahawks in the Kingdom. So if there's a midseason pause on the schedule and they have to reshuffle it, I imagine what they would do is keep a lot of the weeks and games the same, but they would try to make sure that if they add anything on the end, it would be a division game. Mm, interesting. From LDJ, man, I've been trying my best to create an all-Broncos team from my Madden League. Lynch and Dawkins at safety. Champ at corner with Michael Ojemudia. Muti on the line with Gary Zimmerman, KJ, Judy, Fant, and Albert O. But I had to trade Cortland. Even at a 99x factor, Cortland is just too slow. But I made a huge mistake. Huge mistake when I traded Phil. 95x factor to get Reggie Bush Madden legend. Phil had 273 yards rushing, 125 yards receiving, and one TD catching, and four rushing. He was my whole offense, LOL, I suck. So, if you could change any Madden rating, because they only gave you one, what would it be? Mine would be making Drew a 77 or a 76, because frankly, if your QB is trash, you're not playing with that team in Madden, unfortunately. I was excited to play with the Broncos this year, but not with Drew being a 70. Yeah, I think that would be the one. You know, you give Drew fair ratings. Um, you can get him up into that ranking by upping his throw power, which obviously was too low. Um, some of his accuracy, which like that was one of the knocks on him coming out of college, but then he proved to be pretty darn accurate when he played in the NFL. So I don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, I, I'm I'm at a mace point now where I'm just like <laughs> I'm incredulous. I've got nothing left to say about it. Yeah, I'm with you that Drew is the first one that you change in part because of the impactfulness of the quarterback. Right behind that, yep. Cortland Sutton. Should be higher. Cortland Sutton should be an 87 or an 88, not an 84. Also, they, they, gave, that up. they gave Jerry Judy an 81 uh, grade juke move. Like, mm -hmm. have you ever seen this man play football? <laughs> no kidding. He's, he's got like a 99 maybe in terms of juking. I can't think of very many players who can move on a dime like he can. Yeah, and I don't want to put too much on the workouts against air, but if you've seen those videos, you know that juke move – that's not an 81 juke move. That's like a 98 juke move. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Uh, from IG Broncos Sensei. Hello, gents. Hope the day is well. My question today is non-Broncos related uh, and are big topics amongst me and the homies. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. iPhone or Android, PlayStation or Xbox. Team Android and Xbox over here. Arigato Sensei. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm hardcore iPhone and Xbox pretty much nothing could ever make me change those things. Yeah. I, I don't have a, pla a, a game 
platform. And I know someone mentioned the Nintendo Switch later on, but for me, if I'm if I'm the next platform I buy, it's probably going to be PlayStation in part because whatever it is. I mean, they're talking about PlayStation Five now coming soon. Is that in the plans? I'm, yes. I'm not sure. Okay, I'll probably wait on that. But for me. As my as my daughter gets older, things get settled, and hopefully, I have a little more time to play uh, video video games here in the next uh, year or two. Um, I'm leaning towards a PlayStation because I want to play MLB The Show, mm. and that I, I admit I'm probably gonna be more of a player of that than Madden, and that's not available on the Xbox. And then on the Android or iPhone. I've got all Mac devices here, and for me, the iPhone just integrates so seamlessly with the Mac laptop that I have here and the iPad that I have that basically, I, I hate to say it, but Apple's got me at this point. Yeah, I mean, Apple products, in my opinion, are just run a lot smoother. They're more user-friendly, and that that's an easy uh, win for them in my category, and that's all I really need. Uh, as for uh, MLB The Show, that's definitely one that I understand. I've never been big on MLB games, so that's not to a total sell selling point for me. For me, you know, for better or for worse, I have a lot of brand loyalty. Once I'm in on one thing, they have to actively lose me, you know, and, and I, I got an Xbox when the first Xbox came out, and I've been an Xbox guy ever since. Well, I think about you and brands because I think of you and Nike and oh, you yeah. are team Nike all the way and let's CU changes its equipment outfitter. And I, I, I kind of chuckle when I think about you walking around in nothing but Adidas or Under Armour someday if CU changes its supplier. So see, Probably not Under Armour, by the way, because Under Armour seems to be pulling back on its college affiliations. Yeah, so – CU is one of the actually first teams to have a big Nike deal. And I believe it's because one of the higher ups wives went to CU or something. So mm -hmm. I think there's a good chance that CU stays Nike for a long time. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny because I've, I've worn like gear from all three of those companies. And uh, I mean, Nike can be inconsistent, but when Nike hits on something like for some reason, the 20, the 2016 polo shirt that had, the, the two stripes across, I'm wearing a Virginia Tech version of it right now. For some reason, that polo is the perfect polo that they've had. Like, mm. if they could do this, this in terms of just how it fits, how it feels, it's kind of got a, like a mesh layer down below the chest so it breathes nicely. You know, this is – these are, like, my favorite polo shirts, and it's that one specific year. Nike hasn't gotten it right on a coach's polo in the years that followed, I wish they'd go back to this. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's all branding, right? And yeah. uh, I hope people feel this way about their DNVR shirts, because even I feel this way now, I'm obviously biased towards my DNVR shirts, but <laughs> there's something about like you put on a Nike, when I put on a Nike shirt, I have an emotional response to that where I'm like, I feel cooler now. Endorphins um, kick in. Yeah, exactly. The same thing goes for when I pull out my Mac uh, in the press box. Like that, you know, that like there's a that I feel that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think, you know, there are people that feel that way about their DNVR gear. And, and I certainly do, you know, our especially our new branding. When I put that on, I'm like, yeah, this I feel cooler now. Yeah. And that logo, the DNVR logo with the, uh, um, the, the black and white version of the Denver flag. I mean, that I look at that sometimes and I'm like that 
that is professional. That is high class. That is big time. That's iconic. And the other thing about it that I love, the DNVR logo, it's timeless. Yeah. It's not something that has to change. And that's, that I think is a key for any logo. I mean, you can change maybe the design on shirts and things like that and evolve over time. But the logo itself needs to be something that can stand the test of time. And one of the things that gives me a little bit of a chill bump by the DMVR logo is that I think it is going to stand the test of time. I do too. I really do. Next one from Broncos Sooners, New York Rangers. Again, I apologize for the double <laughs> post, but I've seen people talk about the random Broncos all over the internet and wanting to bring up David Kirkus. Mace might remember him. I, yeah. I, I think I remember him as well. Yeah. I was the one who, uh, as it were, broke the whole thing about him being a, a former Subway worker, a former Subway sandwich artist, because with with guys like him that are, you know, that have that have been out of football, I always sort of ask him, hey, you know, what you were doing, because there's always an interesting story like Col- I, when Colby Wadman came to the Broncos, I asked him, you know, hey, what was, you know, you were out of football, what was going on? And he told me that he literally was about was starting to apply for jobs yep and, and one of my favorite stories i yeah. did was about matt lacoste he, right. he worked for a roofing company for one day mm-hmm. and so i asked david kirkus this and he said that i believe it was his girlfriend's parents owned a bunch of subway restaurants and he needed a job that paid some money but allowed him the flexibility to on a moment's notice go to a tuesday tryout allowed him the ability to keep working out and stay in shape. And so there weren't many other options. So he made, he, he made sandwiches. Now, as that got out and then all the players became aware of this, if, if a defensive back made a play on him, he'd get taunts and uh, like John Lynch and Champ Bailey would sometimes razz him a little bit like, Hey, Hey, I want mustard on that. You know, that sort of thing. And they, they just kind of, <laughs> they give him some grief for it so but yeah that's those are always cool stories yeah they are you know tatum bell at the cell phone store oh man <laughs> there's all sorts of good ones yeah. the other ryan fellas one national pundit although a denver bronco alumnus terrell davis is bullish on the broncos davis appeared on kcnc tv's xfinity monday live show last night and gave his thoughts about melvin gordon and philip Lindsay, as well as drew Locke. In reference to Gordon and Lindsey, Davis said, I think they'll work great. You have two guys who are different style runners, and that's always a plus. I think their play will be dictated probably based off a game plan. I see those guys out there getting an equal share depending on who they play and how the game plan is laid out. With respect to Drew Locke, Davis said, quote, I think the first thing that I loved about watching him was the way his teammates responded to him last year. It just seems like he has an infectious personality. People gravitate towards him, and he has the ability to uplift the play around him which is the sign of a good quarterback, a great quarterback at that. A DNVR Army salute to TD and to today's DNVR Broncos podcast hosts. And a right salute to you. you as well, the other Ryan. Um, I really hope TD is right about the running backs and that they're used in a way that complements each other. I really hope that they become one and one A. That's We've talked about this. And we've acknowledged that Pat Shermer has liked the bell cow situation, mm-hmm. but also pointed out that uh, in 2017, when Dalvin Cook got hurt, he went away from the bell cow and he did split time for Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon. And it was effective for what they were trying to do. So I hope that Pat, whether it happens, whether this epiphany happens 
at some point in camp or during the regular season that he realizes I've got two backs that on Madden, they're 85 and 84 in ratings. And while we impugn a lot of Madden ratings, the fact that they're close to each other probably does reflect reality. So I'm not going to put one of them on, on the shelf. I'm going to maximize both of them. Yeah. Yep. I really hope so too. I really hope that they're able to uh, find a way to maximize both. And Mm -hmm. and in the end, I think Philip Lindsay will end up earning more touches, but that's just me. Yep. From Bronco Nugs, the last one here, Mace, get Charlotte a Nintendo switch. I don't have kids, but it's an amazing device to take off the road on the road. If you need something for the car, plus it plugs right into the TV. If you want to play some Mario Kart together, if she's old enough, I think she would love animal crossing. Yeah, and she probably she would love that. I just I, I wish that Nintendo Switch was a bit more robust in terms of of uh, uh, sports simulations. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know that that's that's the only thing. Um, I mean, did they even do Madden on the Nintendo Switch? I know they do FIFA, but they don't have a baseball game like uh, they don't have MLB the Show on there. But yeah, FIFA on Nintendo Nintendo Switch I've heard about, but Madden doesn't do Nintendo Switch, do they? I wouldn't know. I don't yeah. really know anything about the Nintendo Switch. I think you can play like uh, Tecmo Bowl though on there and like stuff like that, which is pretty cool. You can play it, but you can't play it with the player names. I think it's like just with the names taken off. Oh damn! Yeah. Fun. See that that if I'm playing Tecmo Bowl or Tecmo Super Bowl, I want to play it as it was with all the names on there. Sometimes I'll play one of the online emulators of of Tecmo Super Bowl and that's mm. a heck of a lot of fun I bet I bet it's also a heck of a lot of fun to head over to Davidson's and sock up on liquor and beer and wine and whatever else you need cigars I think they have over there at Davidson so whatever you need whatever whatever might be uh, your personal vice Davidson's might be able to help you out head over to Davidson's talk to their extremely knowledgeable staff it's a Colorado owned company there's a location in Centennial and a location in Highlands Ranch so make sure you head over there and check out all they have to offer but that's going to wrap it up for me and Mace today. Tomorrow, you'll have a, uh, a nice combination. I'm excited to hear this one. It'll be Mace and Dre on the podcast tomorrow. So looking forward to hearing that. Uh, but for today, that's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks for tuning into the DNVR Broncos podcast. And we'll talk to you guys soon. It's getting me down.